You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? This whole party. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am. And I am joined, um, not as I am always joined this week. In fact, this sly person has snuck into my recording studio. The, the Mad Wizard is not here. I am I feel defenseless. Everything's down. I'm going to get backstabbed. It's Mike Shea, the sly flourish himself. Oh, my God. I am I am glad I made my stealth check. I should, I should actually roll it right now, shouldn't I? Yeah, you should. I'm Although really it's not get. that hard. My passive perception is like uh, yeah, a 6. Yeah, it's like, a 14. like uh, a 14. Oh, you got a 14? Well, mine's like a 6. There you go. So here I am. I have no wisdom because it's uh, nine o'clock in the morning as we're recording this, and I uh, I just got off work. So awesome. Instead of a, <laughs> instead of a backstab, you just look in your pocket and find like a copy of Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, and like how the how the hell does this thing get in here? It's called product placement. We do that exactly, right? Uh, so Mike, thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's great to be here. I yeah. appreciate you having me on. I, I appreciate you coming out. Uh, we're going to talk everyone about alternate kinds of adventure design because we've been talking about adventure design constantly for a, a long period of time now in encounter design and mike has this lovely kickstarter going on right now called the ruins of the grendel root which is a fascinating setting which i can't wait to talk about because i have like um my own sort of like fascinating setting that's in the same vein but not for D, right because you can't you actually can't play i don't think you could actually play my setting effectively in D because you can run into a cyclops like Right near the entrance, which would just <laughs> kill for solo characters. It's all right, right, as long as you can have a talk. Right? That's true. I agree with you. But they don't I have really... many lethal, many lethal challenge encounters in Ruins of the Grendel Root. You know, I noticed uh, that. For like low-level characters. Just by reading the adventure descriptions in the, yeah. in the preview PDF. By the way, everybody should just go read the preview PDF for this thing. It's really good. Um, I, I'm like, man, this is a terrifying place to be. <laughs> it's just, it, which is interesting because I'm, I'm trying to heavily reinforce the attitude that it's not as terrifying. It's much more wondrous uh, it, it, than it seems. It's but some pretty terrifying stuff. Can well, it's got the wondrous to it, but there's some sort of interdimensional outside of existence yep. or fallen angel being that's, it's basically a, it's a prison. It, it seems like that's what the, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a prison. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's really left open for anybody to do it whatever is. they want with it. Right. Right. So right. Um, why don't you give the, the instead of us just rambling about this thing, uh, why don't you give us the short pitch for our announcement for the day, which is the ruins of Grendel Root. Let's let's delve into this, the inside of this thing for a little while. Sure. Thank you. So Fantastic Adventures Ruins of the Grendel Root is a book of 10 uh, short adventures uh, for 5e uh, set all set within a mountain called uh, Black Claw. Uh, and inside Black Claw, deep down within it is some sort of otherworldly sentience known as the Grendel Root. And the Grendel root has manifested itself um, that you can you can see signs of it by these huge black spires that look like giant claws piercing out of the rock uh, throughout all of the caverns inside the mountain. Uh, the adventures are for levels one to five, uh, and we have a pre-gen uh, character portfolio. It's no longer become like a set of character sheets because it's like fifty pages long. My uh, lord! Yeah, it's a huge character portfolio. Uh, to make it as easy as possible for DMs to be able to grab some friends, grab an adventure, drop some pregens on them, and, and play some D and D. So that's 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 the design. That's the high level design. That's the high level design. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you've uh, you've unlocked a bunch of stretch goals already. Yeah, yeah. We've we've. I, I think I had. I started with seven total, and we've unlocked four, and we have three to go. Yeah. The 
Is there only three? Have you not reached that next? You you reach one that you haven't unlocked yet. Uh, you're at twenty four thousand, which means that James Dercasa is going to do something. Yeah, no. So that one should be. Oh yeah, I I don't think I actually updated. I'm too busy doing podcasts. Um, <laughs> I haven't updated the front page, but yeah, I did send a note out. So yeah, oh. that one did get unlocked. James Dercasa is in fact doing the backgrounds. And that I think that was the, was that the fourth. I think that's the fourth. Yes, that is the fourth, and we love James around here too. Yeah. So. We all love James. Everybody yeah. loves James. And a full digital map, map pack of all the Elven yeah. Tower's awesome maps, which yep. Elven Tower, what a wonderful um, yeah. cartographer. Yeah. I love his their stuff. I was, I was really lucky to be able to get him to do all of the maps for this. So he's doing 11, he's doing 11 maps Fantastic. For, for the whole book. I really like the art that you got going on in this thing. Too. Yep. Yeah. They, so we have two different kinds of art. There's uh, And one of, one of the big drives of this is to make it as, you know, professional as possible right i really like my, my writing is one part of it but another part is having really evocative artwork and really really beautiful maps the kinds of things when i look at this i want to make a book of things that a dm can't do on their own and a big piece of that is getting like scott fitzgerald gray's editing and getting uh art by jack kaiser and mark mark radel um and 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 brian syme and uh and maps from elven tower so yeah so the two different kinds of art are um sort of location pieces which are like big half page pieces of art those are done by jack kaiser he did a lot of work for shadow of the demon lord and a bunch of other bunch of other stuff and um the and a, a whole pile of character art and we unlocked one of the stretch goals was unlocking more character art so brian syme who does a lot of the artwork for kobold press is is doing uh, a bunch of internal character artwork uh, for all the adventures as well yeah, you have no heavy hitters at all helping you. Out That's my whole goal is surround myself with heavy hitters. You know, and that way people won't be looking too hard at me. Oh, that's, I mean, I feel like you might be doing yourself a disservice there, but I mean, it just it accentuates the uh, ability that you are bringing to the to the team also, right? Sure. Um, <laughs> so what, what, let's talk about the, the levels real quick, because I always like doing yeah. that for Kickstarter. So it looks like for 15 bucks, you can get all the stuff in PDF, right? Uh, so for $15, you get everything that's part of the Ruins of the Grendel Root Kickstarter. So you get the main book and you'll get an art book and you'll also get map packs. And there'll probably be a bunch of other stuff. Like you'll get an EPUB version of the book so you can run it on your phone. Um, and if we figure out any other, if we figure out any other goals sort of after the Kickstarter is ended, uh, any digital rewards for this book you will get with that, with that tier. Very nice. And then there's a, uh, a print option for 20 bucks. Yeah. So that one, you pay five bucks more and you get the option to order all of the books in print from drive through RPG for the cost of printing. So the cost of printing is usually about five or $6. It's true. I'm very familiar. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly um, how that goes. That's actually a really nice, um, nice deal. And for anybody who's wondering why is it $5 more, it costs some amount of money and work and effort to actually redo the files to make them uh, print on demandable. Yeah. There is, well, there is and right. That so that, that extra. Oh, why is the five? Why is it 15 instead of $20? Why is it 20 instead of 15? Yeah. yeah and the other ones, you're, you're essentially getting two copies of the book, right? You're getting you get all the digital books, you know, as well and the print option tier. So you're, you're sort of getting multiple copies of the book. And that's the that's the where the five bucks comes from. Yepers. That's a that's a good. Reason. Yeah. And there's a fair there's a fair bit of work that goes into making those the print on demand oh, files. I am. Work. I am yeah. very aware. <laughs> yeah. You, you and I could probably share stories. I had a when I did Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, it took me six weeks to get the spine of the book right. Oh, yeah. I mean, and um, I think like I think like 10, 10 orders, you know, maybe not 10, but it was like four or five orders from drive through to get to get new copies and look at it, and make sure the spine came out. right. So everybody out there and listeners land this is a little inside baseball like if i'm sure all you know that i'm i'm one of the owners of encoded designs and and mike does this does his thing too yeah. so yeah that uh that print on demand file it, it didn't take us quite as long because on the uh, we're lucky our graphic designer um he's done some of this stuff before but it still took us three tries and 
uh, two um, two print orders, like two of the uh, the the uh, whatever they call them. I always forget. I'm just bl- mind blanking. Um, the test orders, whatever they're called. Yeah, uh, proof copies. Proof copies. Yeah. Two proof copies before we got it right. Like the yeah. third proof copy was right, but it was still like the the submission process. It took us like four submissions to get it right the first before yeah. they accepted it. So yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, I mean, so this is my. I mean, return was my third print on fourth print on demand book. So I'd done it before, and still we had all kinds of problems. Like you'd, you'd think you'd have learned, uh, and then, and who knows? There may be problems with the other one. The nice thing is the digital version of that came out earlier, so everybody had a copy and saw that. Hey, this is a real thing. Yeah, and for everybody out there that's wondering, like if you go through drive through, it's different than going through somebody that can do other things for uh, like we 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 print through. Uh, we have a deal with Studio Two. They want mm-hmm. them different. So if you want your books mm-hmm. in different places, you have to give them different formats. Yeah, right. My, our, my, my books go up on Amazon. So I'm using, it used to be CreateSpace and now Amazon bought out the service and they're, they're, uh, they call it a pre-flight, a pre-flight yes, check. pre-flight check. Yeah. And when you send all of the uh, files, yeah, yeah, it's different, different pre-flight checks for each one. So you all wanted so to hear about... A lot of times it. I have to tune it for each one. <laughs> so you all wanted to hear about adventure design and yeah, right. publishing. <laughs> Here's how to print books. Here's how to print books. Yeah. <laughs> But it's so much fun. I, I, it is, and it's great. Like I, the the reason. So another, and this this might be a question that people have who aren't going to print their own books is why would you do this and not do it like everyone else does it? Which is, you know, I, I'll pay. You know, instead of fifteen dollars, I pay thirty five dollars, and I get the print book sent to me. And one reason is the print on demand way is the cheapest way I can get the book into the hands of a customer. It's true. Um, you know, I don't actually handle any inventory, and if I handled inventory, you're paying essentially for shipping twice. And shipping costs are almost always more than the print cost. So yeah. moving moving a book around the world is way more expensive than actually making the book or, or having the book in the first place. It's true. So I, print although, on demand cuts at least one level of shipping. Although it looks like you're getting, I mean, uh, of course, there's a number of backers that are just getting PDFs, right? Like so. Yeah. But it, I mean, if you were to double what you have right now, then maybe. Maybe an offset print run and having somebody right. do that for you might be cheaper. Yeah, but- return return could have. So I had I had you know six thousand backers for return and thirty five hundred that did print, and mm-hmm. that probably would have been worth doing an offset printing. But the other part there is I have no idea how to do that. That's yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> believe know. me, everyone out there, it's a whole yeah. nother level, a of whole learning. other world. Yeah, yeah. And you're handling inventory, and I don't want to have a you know shipping container worth of stuff in my lawn. It's true. That's that's fair. Like, I mean, we don't want to do that either. We we do we do it like you do it. Like, we have no, yeah. we don't handle any books. We just have everybody else <laughs> right. do that stuff for us. Right. right. Which is why we don't. None of us make any money at this stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> or at least not a lot of money, anyway. Yeah. Um. So thirty for thirty bucks, you get the uh, the bundle digital. What does that do for people? So two previous Kickstarters uh, that I ran two years ago and three years ago were for two other books called Fantastic Locations and Fantastic Adventures. Uh, Fantastic Locations is 20 adventure agnostic locations that you can drop into the design. The hope was to be able to drop them into any fantasy world. Uh, So they don't have monsters in them. They don't describe specific situations going on. They're not, they're not polished adventures, but they cover that one piece of where, where can I set my adventure? Um, and they are, they're designed, they don't actually have rigid maps. So it's the locations are all, uh, very flexible in that you can only pick the two or three that you want for any specific larger location, uh, and be able to run it. Um, and it did, it did pretty well. It was, it, it, it met its funding and it sold, but it's not, it's a hard concept for people to get. Um, but I, I think still love great. that book and I still think it's tremendously useful. If, if I remember correctly, was that the first time that you started, uh, 
utilizing the idea of sort of like aspects or tags for locations. Yes, that was the first time. Yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. talking. Pull that right out of fate. Yeah, I think that was the last time we had you on the show. At least oh, the last okay. time I had you on the show was uh, was for that book because I yeah. thought it was so novel and unique. Like, it, yeah. So, and sometimes this is this is you know the experimentation of publishing that sometimes it's so novel and unique that people don't understand it. <laughs> you know, and I think like that. Like, I had a very specific reason not to include maps, but like the number one complaint is where are the maps. Like, <laughs> you, you gave us places without maps, I, I, and so I'm like, okay, never mind. I'll include maps from now. On. <laughs> I thought the places were maps. That was that? I thought the places were maps, right? Like Yeah, they are, but like I you know, people want like a pretty traditional top-down D&D style map. And I think that the reality is if people want to shorten a map, they can do so. Like they can always look if you have a nine-room map, they can always cut three rooms off and just have the hallways lead nowhere or or seal off the hallway completely in their head and in their description. Um where in fantastical locations, I I thought like, you know, essentially you take out a three by five card, pick the of the 12 locations of the 12 detailed locations that are part of any larger location of the 12, you pick the three or four that you want to use for any particular adventure. Yeah. Um, and and I, I have friends and I've talked to many people who do use it and love it. So it's, you know, I still think it's a great and valuable product. It's just one that doesn't didn't, didn't make quite the splash that, that a book about adventures does. Yeah, it didn't. I think it's because people understand adventures. Yeah, it didn't sell like it like like you would hope it would have sold. Well, I, yeah, I mean, it sold as well as I hoped it would, but oh, it didn't oh, knock the doors go. off. <laughs> like it did, it's doing fine. Uh, um, but but Fantastic Adventures, which is the book I did two years ago, was a very similar to Ruins of the Grendel Root. It is a book of ten adventures, all set around one town. And uh, unlike Ruins of, Ruins of the Grendel Root, they kind of go all over the place. So there's swamp adventures, and there's mountain adventures, and there's you know underground adventures and above ground adventures, and there's uh, you know adventures that talk, take place entirely in the town, stuff like that. So um, uh, that that has done well, and and I got a lot more feedback about that one saying that 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 is a useful format and it works well i have friends that run it and talk about it all the time um so i got i i got the most feedback about that book uh that uh, you know other than return which is a totally different kind of book um and so that the feedback that i got was useful enough for me to say okay i think i'm going to try that again let's see if we can do it again i mean i'm totally into this thing that you got going on here the the ruins of the Grendel route, like mm-hmm. this location and the adventures that surround this. Um, so for me, and we can, um, we can start uh, talking about, I guess, non-traditional or not, not what people typically think of or some variations on adventure design here. Sure. But uh, this looks like an expanded version of a Savage Worlds plot point campaign to me, which okay. that's, <laughs> I love me. I, lo- I love me some Savage Worlds plot point campaign. So plot point campaigns right. and Savage Worlds are, uh, if you're, are you familiar with them? I am not. No. So there, there'll be like a campaign setting. Like there's, there's, there's tons of them. There's like Evernight or whatever, or uh, the, the, the one that I'm Fifty Fathoms. That's their, their big pirate one. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they have these, um, ten to twelve, um, like adventure seeds that are like a paragraph or two long that are mm-hmm. like the main spine of the story, and mm-hmm. it's on the, it's left to the game master to flesh them out. Gotcha. But then there's a whole bunch of um. They're called Savage Tales that you can intersperse around that that are thematically appropriate for the setting and whatnot, hmm. and maybe even tell little little mini stories in there, but they're not part of that main arc. Mm-hmm. And this is like um, a condensed version of one of those, but expanded because they're actually adventures, which I was yeah, always like, right. why don't yeah. those exist in Savage Worlds? Because I would just like the campaign book that does that for me. <laughs> so that's interesting. Yeah, I've been I've been I've, I've been paying a lot of attention to Shadow of the Demon Lord by Rob Schwab. 
Uh, I just ran a one to one to uh, or, uh, you know, zero to ten campaign for that eleven sessions. Nice. And he, I just love Rob's writing. He's a, he's an absolutely fantastic RPG writer, and he he has similar things. He calls them like Lands in Shadow, which are these like mini campaign setting books yeah. that are you know twelve fourteen pages long and kind of talk about you know deep dive into a location, but they don't. I don't, and he has some adventure seeds in it, but not not quite the same as what you're talking talking about. But one of the interesting things, yeah, it's, it's interesting that they have that design, and I sort of came to that independently without without knowing that. Um, so so Grendel Root has, yeah, the, each of the adventures is like a five thousand word adventure. They're about half the word count of a of like a traditional adventures league style adventure. Um, but they still are pretty meaty, right? They're still a full sort of two to four hour adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the stretch goals I want to have is a six to 20 campaign that's written the way you're describing it, where, you know, here's the overall thread of a campaign. And then for each level, here is a, you know, two to three sentence adventure seed that, uh, you know, it has a fair bit of detail in it. And this yeah, it gets into that adventure design. I've been thinking hard about like, how would you write? And it, uh, this is something you and Shauna talked about um, when you were talking about your adventure summary, you know, descriptions of what an adventure summary is like. And you guys mentioned that, um, you know, could you run the adventure with just the summary? Yes. And so my thought with that was, well, what if I just offer the summary for the six to 20? Right. So you have 10 adventures that can take you from one to five. In fact, it would probably you, you probably don't need to run all 10 to get to one to five. You could probably mm-hmm. run as few as five. Um, but once you run those and you're like, wow, I really love this place and I want to keep running stuff here. What do I do? Well, here's this campaign arc that goes six to 20. And it has these one paragraph descriptions for each of the adventures that you might run for each level, you know, to get all the way up to 20. Yeah, that is the uh, the seventh stretch goal. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's the final stretch goal. Yeah, I started I started. That's the one chapter I have not even finished a first draft of yet but i'm really enjoying thinking about it <laughs> like I've, mm-hmm. i started it and i have an outline and i've been filling in pieces of it but i've been thinking about like what do you if you were going to write an adventure a whole adventure in the smallest amount of text possible you know like what would it need and uh you know what what would have to be in it and i and i hit on the things that you know one of the things i did for return the or, or uh not return ladies dungeon mess uh, uh, ruins of the grand root can't even keep my own book straight was um I, I i read like every book about adventure design and every article and every you know not every article i could find as many as i could find and, and get through um and i and i sort of coalesced all of that and i and i just posted the results on sly flourish of like here are lots of tips about adventure design that i picked up and including plugging plugging your your show that you uh-huh. do and um you know there's lots of things where it's like well what do you need to have an adventure it's like well you need a villain you need a location you need a hook you know, those are sort of the three big ones that come up is, you know, there's got to be a reason for characters to go on the adventure. There's got to be a place where they engage in the adventure. And there's got to be people to interact with, you know, things to interact with people, monsters, stuff like that, that they have to interact with in order to in order to go through an adventure. Would you mm-hmm. what I, do you think of that? I, I, I It's it's correct. It's completely 100 percent correct. And it's also the thing in those. um is there something put, missing from those three? Is there a fourth where, like, if you don't have the fourth, you're hosed? I don't think so. Like, I mean, if you have those three things, what else? Like, what right. more? What other piece uh, pushes that along? In fact, if you look at all the things that you that you listed on that article, which, by the way, uh, slyflourish.com uh, on writing adventures, that is the name yeah. of the article. Check it out. Like, uh, those three things are on all of those. And there's, uh, I mean, there's other things that you could add to it. I mean, really, on top of that, it's just making sure that when you're when you're using that economy of words, that you're constantly keeping to the theme of the adventure that you're trying to put out there. Because other, right. you have to do a lot, lot more work with a lot less words. 
Yeah. One of the one of the things that really inspired me recently was uh, uh, Ghost of Saltmarsh in the beginning of it has a history. Or I think it's regions of Saltmarsh. And uh, there's there's one region. I always forget the name of this thing. I think it's like the Dark Forest or something like that. Um, I am so yeah. unfamiliar with Saltmarsh and I haven't read that book yet. So. It's a great book. So I, 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 I highly recommend it. But one of the things that grabbed me initially when I was when I was reading it was, um, yeah, there's this whole section. Sorry, I'm looking it up now. That's I want okay. to make sure I get my name right. Uh, the Dreadwood, it's called, right? And it's probably a th- maybe uh, a thousand words. I don't even think it's a thousand words. I bet you it's like 750 words. And it describes what I could probably build out in a 1 to 20 campaign, right? It talks about a ancient night hag named Granny Nightshade who has a whole many covens of hags that work for her and 23 Oni uh, guards that are also her personal messengers and enforcers and three vampires that are struggling among themselves for her favor. Well, there's a, uh, that is a, th- there's a, there's a pyramid of a hierarchy of structure yeah. that, that moves out. And then all you have to do is figure out a bunch of hooks to, uh, exactly to yeah. create the symptoms of that character. Yeah. I mean that, yeah. So that was the, the, the 10 second version. And then kind of the rest of the 750 words talk about the areas, the fact that it's sitting right on the edge of the shadow fell and the world. So now you have like this extra planar thing that you can do. Uh, it's got, you know, the outer reaches, middle reaches and dreaded deeps, which, you know, kind of you could almost connect to the you know three tiers of play. Like, you know, you'd assume that you wouldn't show up there at level one, but you might get there at level five. So you could almost assume like, well, the outer reaches is when you're dealing with like your five to ten stuff. Middle reaches would be your your ten to fifteen. And the dreaded deeps is when you're going fifteen to twenty. Yeah. If you want to. I mean, you could, uh, of course, there's the other the other the tiering, the one the one through four, the five through uh, yeah. ten and the. The eleven through uh, sixteenth, eleven through 16th, yeah, something like yeah. that. Whatever those tiers are, I I hate. I, I'm not a big fan of tier four play. It drives yeah. me crazy. It's just too much. Like, <laughs> oh, tier four play, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I'm running it at home, you know, I have a lot more. I've run a couple of tier four games for my home group. I can't. I can't imagine doing an organized play. Yeah, I haven't um, gotten to the tier four stuff with my home group. I think we've gotten to uh, the last campaign. We we played capped out at fourteen. Yeah, and it gets it gets pretty gonzo. Um, but one of the, yeah, so it's interesting that like they have a random encounter chart for this too. That also shows like the monsters that you would face in those three areas. And you can see the CR ratings going up as you look down at like outer fringes has like, you know, one D three ogres as it's, as sort of its pinnacle, you know, one D four green hags is actually looks pretty tough. Uh-huh. Um, middle reaches though, you have vampires and gorgons and mummies that are showing up, banshees, night hags, you know, pretty powerful stuff. And then dreaded deeps, it's death knights, adult green dragons, vamp- you know, 1d3 vampires, 2d6 mummies, 1d3 night hags, you know, and you're like, wow, okay, that's pretty, <laughs> yeah, those are, <laughs> you know, those are encounters, those are pretty meaty encounters. Yeah, they have to throw down in some way, yeah. shape or form, but Plus- they managed to, they managed to stick all of that in um you know a very few words and i looked at that and i was like i that i want something like that for grendelroot like i want to i don't i don't really expect that people will play a 1 to 20 grendelroot campaign that'd be great but i don't expect it but i would really love for the book to be inspirational for people so like i don't know that i would run the, the that that you know the one that's in um saltmarsh but i sure love thinking about it you know, and just thinking about it is is sort of its own form of playing D anD. d So, so me and Sean sometimes talk about um the difference between writing an adventure and then writing um writing material in a source book. Yeah, that is inspiration for right. people to use as adventures. Right, and right. I, there are there are different there are different things. Like that's yeah. what Sean always says because when we were working on um 
the streets of Avalon, one of the big feedback things is, is like, look, you need to rewrite some of this stuff to make it so that it's more inspirational and rather rather than just information. Yeah, right. So, I mean, that yeah. sounds like what you're what you're talking about is the idea yeah, of like I, writing I for inspiration. Yeah, right. I think it's I think it's easy to lose track of that too. Like we get into you know when I wrote the adventures that I wrote, like I'm writing them to be played and to be played easily. Mm-hmm. So they're they're you know they are that they the economy of words is really important. And I have some you know little bits of flavor and 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 interesting things that go on. And I think that I mean I enjoy reading them, but I hope I would. Um, but one of the other the, the the stretch goal before the final is called the history of Shadowreach. And that was a chapter that I want to add to the book that's going to be in the back of the book. So it's not it's not canon, right? It's not something that like if you want to run Grendelroot Adventures, you have to read this six this six thousand, seven thousand word history of Shadowreach. But it's there if you want it. Like you can run the adventures as is without, you know, reading maybe a couple of paragraphs about what the place is like. But if you want to add, if you want to understand a much richer history of this mountain and what's been going on here over the, you know, literally millions of years, but mostly in, in, in the past many millennia, um, then, uh, here's a chapter that does that. And that, and my intent is to make a chapter that's just plain fun to read. It's just interesting. It's got a lot of detail. It's got a lot of drama. It's got a lot of, you know, it's not fiction. It's still written in the style of a, of a source book, but it's got the kinds of things where you're like, wow, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you want in a, in a section like that of a, of a game, right? So it's inspirational for people to jump off and be like, what you were talking about with the the the, the salt marsh book yeah exactly yeah um, that, that really had a heavy influence on me let's let's dive into your adventure design because the, sure. the adventure that is there is, yeah in the preview pdf is the call of star song tower correct so um there are a lot of things in there are a number of things in here that i very much um, enjoy and that are not necessarily the things that we that we tend to see in standard D D fair Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a lot that is like it looks recognizable as sort of a DNA yeah. My, my my hope is not to make it too weird, right? I actually started off probably a little too weird, and uh, one thing I did with this is I brought on a bunch of advisors to kind of help look at my stuff before I even got to the point where I was writing it heavily. So they got a lot of rough drafts, and these <laughs> are people that knew about Fantastic Adventures, also knew about adventure design, you know, heavy into adventure design, um, and I knew would kind of steer me the right way when when needed. And uh, some of the initial drafts had a lot of weird stuff in them. You know, had a, a, like a, I was I, I really liked a product I saw called Shadow Over Drift Chapel uh, by I think it's Absolute Table, Absolute Tabletop, Absolute Games. And it is a more of a campaign, uh, a campaign setting with a lot of random options for how to generate your own adventures rather than have them written out for you. Mm-hmm. And I like that idea a lot. And I, I started to try to take some concepts for that and throw it in here. But then a, a lot of times the feedback I got from the advisors are, why are you making it so hard on us? Like, why not? You, you know what encounter works well in a location. Why not just do an encounter in a location? And I went back and said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put encounters in locations. You know, if you go to a room and here's a bunch of stuff in the room and here's a bunch of skeletons in the room, but I'll put a little note. That's like, you can, you can tune this how you want. You can remove the skeletons or replace them with something else if you like. Which is all over, uh, the preview PDF that I wrote, yeah, like yeah. that kind of, that kind of like, please change this if you want to is everywhere. Yeah. I, I, I you know, I, I think that DM, uh, yeah, DMs really need more permission than we think they do to do that. I agree. So I, I make it really explicit. <laughs> I, my, uh, my, 
I used to not think that because I didn't do that. But after talking to enough people, like, yeah, I think it just, you just give people, just tell people, just change it. It's fine. Right. The right. more that you do that, the more comfortable that they feel doing that kind of stuff. Right. Right. Um, the secrets and clues section. I know that's in yeah. other things that you've done, but like it, it's not standard D and D fair all the time. Right. Yeah. That's probably the one main thing. If you, if you look at this adventure, uh, and this adventure format is pretty much the same adventure format for all 10 of them. So if you like this one, you'll like the other ones. If you don't like this one, then you might want to look at something else. <laughs> um, and yeah, the one, I think that that is a, that's one of the designs that uh, is, is pretty unique to this one. Yeah, they're good. I like them a lot. They help you. Um, so they help. It's the stuff that I do when I'm running games where I'm like, uh, it's information that is about the setting and what's going on kind of around the adventure that is that could be important is just flavor, but it's all very th- uh, thematic and it helps give you that that thematic um, punch. Yet yeah. it's not necessarily uh, a thing that you have to they don't have specific places that they have to be, which is right. the great part. They're just a, a, a list of things that you can put out there. Yeah. And, and you get to decide how or, or which ones. Right. You don't have to do them all. Mm-hmm. Many of the, many of the times in my own experience, using secrets and clues as a way to run my 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 home games um, is I usually end up giving out about half of them. So if I write 10, I usually give out about five during the game, which seems not not purposely. That's just how it works. Yeah, out. it just happens. Right. Like yeah. I, I do that, too. I I'm a little. I wish I was a little more structured like that because well, I'm just running for fun, right, with my mm-hmm. stuff. So I'm just like, well, I know exactly what's going on here. So I just start spouting information about what's going on here. Sure. You know? And that, that works, too. Like, I do the same thing. You know, yeah. the secrets and clues is sort of a prep step for but, me. But if I'm going to write for somebody else, they need to be in a list in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And that's the other one is like, so So the, I'd say one of the other major design differences between um, between this style of adventure and, and most is that they are shorter. Uh, there's just fewer words. So and one of the reasons that it can be is because those secrets and clues are, are really small focus summaries of like what's going on in the adventure and, mm-hmm. and what are the important beats. So, you know, m- much like you talked about the summary being enough for somebody to run the adventure. For me, it's like, if you read the summary and the secrets and clues, you probably have 90% of what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing that is very unique to your adventure design compared to other D and D adventure design is the idea of area aspects. I yes, mean, it's, it's, that's correct. It's yeah, very fate. True. It's very fate esque, but you should totally, they're yeah. great because I can glance at them as a, right. as a game master or a dungeon master and right. describe a thing without reading the box text. And then if you read the box, yep. te- if you want the box text, it's there too. So you've done double the, right. double the work. Right. Yeah. There's been, and I know you and you and Sean talked about this on the show too, uh, about box text. And there was large discussions that came up about box text on Twitter. Uh, you know, friend, friend, James Intercasso and I, and a whole bunch of other people were talking about them and all with kind of different opinions about it. Yeah, and we had a different uh, opinion too. Like we, what's we, all, we all have different opinions. About Everybody's it. got a different opinion. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and you know, one of us like, well, it's my book. I'm putting in box text, so you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like mine has it. But I also, it's not the only thing that's in there. And and that area aspect is not. I don't think it's quite hitting on. Uh, so so James Intercastle's point of view, and you can see this design in uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, is instead of having box text, you can have uh, sort of bullet points that tell you what's in a room that you could read aloud directly and not spoil anything. Uh, but you also are, are much more abbreviated so that you're not, you're not spending a lot of time just n- literally reading right off the page. And I think that that's a pretty strong idea. And I, I have a feeling that we're, we'll see more of that kind of design because it's really economic. It is. Um, and, and I think like, I, I don't know if they do that same sort of thing in Dungeon of the Mad Mage, but I know that Dungeon of the Mad Mage has very little box text because they managed to pack like 26 levels of you know 
I don't know how many hours of gameplay is in that book, but it's a tremendous amount, <laughs> tremendous amount of material into a single hardback book. And the reason they could do that is because they didn't have a lot of box text. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, yeah, were... the area aspects for me are sort of getting close to that bullet point thing of, you know, if you don't want to read the box text, you can read those things and you generally know what's in a room. Also, if you've read it before and then you're running it at the table, you can read those aspects and it'll remind you of about, you know, those things with only a few words. Um, and they also are a good way for the DM to kind of recognize what the important elements of the room are going to be while an encounter is going on. You can also hope you can also utilize some of that stuff too. Like um, I'm just looking at one of them, the ruins of star song tower, there's cracked walls and, and a river canyon. Yeah. That means there's somewhere to fall into and these cracked walls might not yep. be that stable. Yeah. 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 And that, that one's interesting too, because the, the one you're reading from is from the general summary of the tower overall. Mm hmm. And you could probably build your own tower if you, you know, if for some reason you lost pages, you know, 14 through 20, you know, you could probably build your own tower and kind of get an idea of what's in it. Correct. Yes. You know, with that. But then each of the specific locations, the front door, the audience chamber and stuff like that, they also have their own aspects. Yes. And, and they're all they're all just there to kind of, you know, they're like tags. They're just something to help remind the DM what's going on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, those seem to be the two biggest uh, shifts in design. So, yeah. In design, yeah. uh, a lot of the other stuff is just—it's what you said before. It's economy of words. Like, how can mm -hmm. we do this in the shortest amount of space as right. space possible? Right. I think the adventure is ten pages, which is not that yeah, long. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, uh, I think that's right. Yeah. Now, if you could design this in a different way, or remove some <laughs> of this stuff, or change it around, or if there's some radical things that you would want to do that you think would work, what would they be? Well, the funny thing is, uh, if I thought if I thought they were good ideas, you'd have it, right? Like I just, I'm like, I'm as soon as we're done, I'm going to go and write my third draft of one of the adventures. And if I had <laughs> big ideas, right now would be it. So I think that you know, again, having experimented with a bunch of different designs, having now written lots and lots and lots of adventures, having read oodles of them and played oodles of them, um, you know, I, I I really try to you know shake them all up in a petri dish and see what is settling and what's rising to the top and um i think that for me i don't i don't think it's the ideal format i think one of the interesting things about the conversation of, of adventure design um and i think i think you and sean talked about this too is like this isn't this isn't not, uh, this is an intractable problem there isn't an ideal adventure design if we had one we'd have had it by now right everybody would be using one if there was like oh wow this is way better than everything else and i think like with flavor text because it's not a universally accepted standard is why sometimes we have it and sometimes we don't and i think different you know different dms maybe it's about learning styles or reading comprehension there's a whole bunch of different reasons why adventures uh you know have a different design um but let me let me think of this so let me give a you know let me think about your question again. I, I, so one thing as a, as a design ideal I would like is to make them even more modular, to really design them so that you, the, the, the GM, gets to steal the parts that you want to steal as easily as possible. Um, yeah, I, I, but I don't know what that, that is, before. right? If I knew what that is, I would have offered it. Yeah, I've played around with that idea before. The, the, the best I came up with is like you – um, so – like instead of giving specific characters, you just give archetypes of characters and, and archetypes of locations and whatnot. And you put them in right. bold and be like, well, here's the places where you can insert your own yeah. stuff. And, and so that's that's kind of what I did with my initial drafts on this. Right. With my initial drafts, I, I would say, like, you, if you imagine this adventure and instead of having the location. So like in here, if you go to I'm going to pick a room, uh, if you go to the audience chamber, 
Um, you know, large ornate throne, statues of unknown heroes, mosaic of a bygone age, holes in the ceiling and floor, and beam of violet light. Those are your aspects. Mm-hmm. And in there, I have a creature section. And I say, their corpses of three members of the Bronze Lions adventuring party are all here. They're all withered by necrotic damage because they were killed by the specter in Area 6. Mm-hmm. Spoilers. And um, <laughs> they rise as zombies and uh, y- with weird violet glowing eyes to kind of give them this Grendel Rudy appearance. Yeah, yeah. And then you fight them. So originally i just had the location i described the area and then in a different section of the adventure i said here are six encounters you can drop in to star song tower wherever you feel like it's time for an encounter right and and that way you can say like well they already just fought a bunch of rats and they just fought the crazy cultists in the basement and now they're here and now they gotta fight zombies like oh what a slog Right. Mm -hmm. So originally it was like, well, I don't have rats in the basement and I don't I had the the cultist was specific, but her whether or not it's a combat encounter was not. And the zombies were they were like in essentially a small random encounter list at the beginning of the adventure. And my idea was as a as a GM, you can sort of look at those encounters and look at a location and then pick the encounter you think fits for the time. Um, And I and I thought that was I still kind of think it's a good idea, but I had multiple, you know, of the of the five or six people that I sent it to you know, at least two or three of them are like, I just, I don't get it. Like there's these rooms and you go in there and there's stuff there. And then you just walk right through and go to the next room. Right. You don't want to interact with anything. And I was like, yeah. And I kept saying like, well, your goal is to pick an encounter from the other one and mix it together. It's like, why are you making me go through that? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, okay, put never mind. On them. Yeah. So I tried it and I, and I, and I, and I get the other point too, which is like, it's this weird balance of making it modular so that DMs can really make it their own, but also making sure that you are doing the heavy lifting for them. Like that is another, you know, I talk about these design philosophies, but probably the biggest one is giving DMs something they can't do themselves. Right. Yeah. And, and, that's... and just doing the hard parts like like, you know, I, in Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, I'm writing a book to try to make it as easy as possible for people to prep their D&D games. And now I'm trying to make a book that makes it even easier by saying, here's a bunch of stuff you can use that you wouldn't be able to do. Other. You don't have to draw a map. You don't have to come up with, you know, crazy uh, locations. You don't have to have your strong start. The, 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 the adventures has a strong start for you, you know, and I'm trying to make it as easy as possible, like, as transparent as possible. But on the same side, DMs are creative beings, as we know, and, and we want you know, that, that, that creativity is its absolute number one strength. So how do we tap into that creativity as well and, and pass the important parts of the cognitive load to the DM who's running it at the table? Um, and that, but, but then, you know, it's, if you're just feeding pieces of it, that's not helping enough. So it's, it is this big balance. And I think the reality is like good, I mean, I'm going to use a phrase that probably we shouldn't use good DMs know to, to improvise an adventure. They know to change it and they, and they will, and, and they don't need permission and, you know, it'll work out. And, um, you know, I think it, I think sticking to the book is sort of an, a, a, something that with experience goes away. People recognize like, Oh, wait a minute, I can change this. I can, I don't have to put zombies here if I don't want to put zombies here, you know? So, so I think that that's that weird balance. And, and I, and I lent, I, I leaned towards let's stay relatively traditional and we'll add some things like secrets and clues and aspects and stuff like that. But those all work. Those are all on the original Fantastic Adventures too, and they worked really well there. The other one is like, you know, I'm hoping that the people who like the original book will like this book too, and I want to make sure that for them, it's like, oh, this is, you know, this is the same as what we had in the other book, yeah, or the sh- same format with cooler adventures and better art. Um, not really better, different art. Uh, anyway, yeah. So I don't, I don't, 
I, I think if I had my my ideal, I would I would like to stick to that adventure toolkit that like, you know, it's like Lunchables, right? You you make your own cracker sandwich, um, but we'll just put the pieces in little containers and you can you know pluck from upper left corner is your monster and upper right corner is your location and lower left corner is your plot seed and lower right corner is, you know, whatever your secrets and clues. So, but I, but I don't know if that works that well. Yeah. So, a uh, the, one of the to me the most you, you said a lot of interesting things there. The most yeah, interesting, sorry. no, the most interesting thing that you said Brain to dumb. me was um, the idea of what is the right balance between giving people the freedom to, to create within an adventure and also like, giving them enough stuff so they don't have to do the heavy lifting. Where where does that go? And of course, there is no there's no answer to that, right? Because it's right. going to vary from person to person. Right. And that's 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 why it feels it's you know when it, it's intractable. But we can get better. <laughs> no, <laughs> right? absolutely. We can circle in on it. Right? So, like, there are, and you, you also taught the other really fascinating thing that you said to me was like the um, the idea of like there there is no right design for anything. Like, there, there's no one there's no one true way for adventure right. design, and there's right. a ton of reasons for that, right? Because uh, adventure different adventures require different tools anyway to even yeah. present them in a, in a logical manner. Experience like, levels of the DMs and location and the players well, and their drives and their experience, all just, that. Just yeah. the type of adventure, right? Like between yeah. a, a mystery and a dungeon crawl and a. Uh, in a heist are three completely different presentations right? because they have different right. flows and different structures. Right. So, so the tools that you're going to use in any of those adventures are all going to be different. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. And it, so this is something interesting. Like while I was writing the first draft of this adventure, one of the things that I, and I'll, I'll throw this little recommendation out there. I love taking walks and I love taking walks where I don't listen to anything, but sometimes I like taking walks where I listen to excellent podcasts by, by very smart D and D designers, uh, such as yourself and Sean Merwin. And, um, I would take, a walk sometimes I think we had like a spout of really bad weather and before work I would drive to the local mall and I'd walk with all the old people at the mall and listen to my listen to my uh, down with D&D and um, I, I kind of panicked because I was like listening to you guys talking about all the different adventure designs and uh, adventure models and I'm like I never even thought of that stuff when I was working on these <laughs> like I I think that they fit a particular style of model and one thing I, a question I have for you is if looking at Star Song and and assuming that Star Song is the typical adventure model it's, it's not really like there's a, definitely a couple that are are, are different um what what kind of model does that look like to you oh no it's a it's a dungeon crawl right you're going okay. you're going to a dungeon to, to figure to find out what's going on gotcha yeah so right. I, I probably all of these almost all of them are dungeon crawls well that's the most typical D yeah. adventure right yeah. so and, I mean... and and i yeah and i think i like i'm i'm, I'm happy to hear you say that because i don't think i'm upset with the fact that they're dungeon crawls you should there's be. a couple of interesting ones like um one of them and i you know i don't know if this fits an archetype or not but one of them is a dungeon crawl where a character an npc is getting hunted by assassins and um we talked about like having lethal you know lethal encounter problems right mm-hmm uh, so in this case, you're fourth level and you're fighting two assassins and the assassins are like CR eight, right? So they are way more powerful than you. And, and that's kind of the, 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 that, you know, that purpose is we know that if they come to town, we're, we're in real bad shape. So we have to direct them elsewhere. And the NPC says, I'm going to go to this monstrous graveyard and meet them there. And if they kill me there, that's okay. Right. And and then you're like, well, we kind of like to save you. So the, the 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 adventure format is you go out and you sort of crawl your way through this weird monstrous graveyard, but then you know it, and now you are using the monstrous graveyard against the assassins who are coming after you. Oh, so it's it's like tower defense. Yeah, it's you like know, a I tower call, defense. I call it like adventure. a tower defense. That's game. totally a tower defense adventure. That's really fun. Like, yeah, so that... I don't I don't know if that's an actual model. Like, are there other tower defense? I mean, I know that there's like defending a place. 
Yeah, that's different though. I don't even think right. we ever. I don't think we even mentioned that one. That's that's completely. Uh, yeah. I so, can't think of what that fits in any of ours. So like right. like we said, we didn't have them all. We just I just gave yeah, right, the most right. common and ones. That's, so that one's a tricky one too, because like I don't. I I hope it works. I ran it and I liked it and I got some good feedback from it. But I'm wondering like when it goes in the hands of other DMs, will they be able to run that right? Like yeah, the assassins totally TPK'd my party. Well, if if it's a if it's about setting up the tower defense, then the idea is like well, as the players go through the the graveyard, then yeah. they are doing things that will hinder yeah or and, give and there's the... a lot right and, and i offer i offer a lot of help on like you know there's a a, a petrified purple worm that's actually still alive <laughs> but you can sort of milk the poison from it and now you've got this like 12d6 damage poison thing you yeah, know? So you're, and, you're stocking up to murder these assassins yeah right also... and, and at one point you can you can like charm a bullet right and the bullet can fight on your side yeah so there's a lot of like you know you're walking around getting powerful artifacts and people and items that are all like one use things. So the nice thing is even though you get all this stuff, you basically use it once and then it's gone. So you, it's not going to overpower a group later. Yeah. I was, um, I was wondering if, if any of this stuff was like, we do a thing and then when the assassins show up, they have less, less hit points or power or whatever, because they got murdered by something on the way in. They, well, they, they can, but you have to be responsible for it. So it won't happen on their own. That, that's what I mean. Like you, yeah. you, you do, you do X and then Y yes. occurs the assassins yeah. off screen. But of course the killer of the assassin is if, if the assassin decides to put poison on a, on a weapon, like I, I had this happen. I actually ran it at third level when I ran it and I just, you know, the assassins are not idiots. Right. So one of them was like in a, in a, you know, crazy jungle suit like hanging out among all these bone piles and fired an arrow from like the opposite side of the chamber and hit a guy. And they went from full hit points to like, you know, not quite dead, but zero that, in oh. one shot. And they're like, Oh my God. <laughs> and then the rest of the group had to like drag him out. They so it's kind of fun, yeah. but it was really like, they're like, why do we have hit points when guys are hitting for 72 points of damage? Uh, because you know, they're, yeah. they're supposed to be scary. <laughs> right. That's the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that was one other, that was an interesting design. The other one, which I'm going to be playtesting this week is a, uh, it's based on uh, fistful of dollars and, um, uh, the old Kurosawa movies, uh, Yojimbo and Sanjiro. And the idea there is there's an orc, an orc raiding party and a hobgoblin raiding party that are both trying to go after the town at the same time. And you have to figure out how to either defend the town or use one party against the other or eliminate one party in favor of the other or convince them just not to do it. Oh, yeah, that's, and that, it's, that's that social manipulation thing, right? Like, yeah, uh, right. Who, who can you rally to your side? Who can you, right. uh, what can you do to the, the, the Magnificent Seven thing, right? Like, all exactly. That stuff. Yeah. yeah. The mag- that, that, yeah. Yeah. The Magnificent Seven model would be great if there was only one of them. But the second one is, well, these two guys also hate each other as much as they hate you. So if you can get between them, you know, you that can figure out how to get hobgoblins to kill orcs or vice versa. Yeah. I mean, that's so, a, that's a yeah. really cool. Uh, so we're going to see if that works. Yeah. So it's, know. it's a mix of that whole adventure design plus uh, the relationship map, right? Mm-hmm. And how you can get manipulate those relationships and right. getting what you want. And that one has the most NPCs in it of any of these because I wanted to have like primary guys and secondary guys and tertiary guys that all have these like weird relationships with everyone else. So like, you know, the second in command hates the primary guy. And so if you can convince the secondary in command guy to take over, they'll take over and then not attack the, the town. Then you'll you have know? to deal with one one of the groups. Yeah, and then right. And so part of it is like you might spend half your adventure getting rid of one of the groups and then you have to actually fight the other group. Like, you know. That seems so, reasonable, right? Yeah, it'll be interesting. I assume it's in the notable I'm, I'm, NPC I'm going to see how it, I have not run it yet, so uh, <laughs> we're going to see how it plays on Wednesday. I mean, that's one like, of those. Wow, this is a bad idea. <laughs> that's one of those situation-based adventures, right? Like, well, here's yeah. a terrible situation. Deal with it. Yeah, right. This is coming. So, and that has little dungeon delves too, because each of the groups has their own tiny little lair that they're in. 
So if you want to go stealth your way into the inn or into the lair and, and assassinate a guy or do whatever, um, there's still a bit of a crawl. It's like two or three, two or three rooms per area. I am, I am so excited that you, that you, uh, kicked me that tower defense model because it's one that i hadn't thought of before i'm like <laughs> yeah. oh it's totally a, a realistic thing that you could do an adventure like I've, i think and, so yeah. and i'm sad because i actually wrote that adventure one time for for, for fourth edition D D for yeah. one of the adventure league things like there yeah. was an army coming to attack you and the first half of the adventure was doing a bunch of things to slow it down and stall it so that the, your defenses could get yeah, set I, up I better think back when i was I, I did a lot more freelancing for fourth edition um whatever it was eight eight or nine years ago and I think there was one period where, like, every adventure designer wrote a Plants vs. Zombies adventure. <laughs> right? And the, yeah, like, and everyone thought they were the unique one, right? Yeah. Like, I, I wrote one, and, like, I think, like, five other people wrote one, and then one of them got published. Yeah, none you of know? us were. <laughs> it was like, everyone's doing, you know, everyone wants to do Plants vs. Zombies. It just seemed, it seemed like a thing to do, right? Like, right. like at that moment, it was, like, the most popular thing in the world. But it wasn't so, unique. Everybody no, thought it was. Everybody had that idea at the same uh, time. Oh, it's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Ah, oh, what else? No, I mean, I, you know, it's been great to to kind of hear you guys going through this. Like I said, I, I I go through equal parts of like, oh man, I got to squeeze as much information out of these podcasts as I can get because I'm right in the middle of you know doing this, and you know, I, I don't want to n- never say never. I'll probably certainly write adventures again, but like, you know, how many books of adventures do I have in me, <laughs> right? And like, I want to get it right. You know, I, I want to get it as good as it can be. I would love um, to see the uh, an actual sixth through tenth level uh, version of of like the next like part of next set of adventures that go in this place. Yeah, right. And it would, that would be cool. The, the problem with that is then you have people that come in and that's their first book, and they're like, I don't, you know, I don't understand all this stuff. So you're either replicating a lot of. That's one of the reasons why this is set away from the other town. Is both books should stand alone if they don't get the other. Um, uh, and, and you don't want to have to repeat stuff. I just like the setting a lot. That's all. Yeah. I like the setting a lot too. And I could, I would, I would totally like doing that. And, and then, you know, maybe I will, maybe it's like, well, I'm not going to worry too much about the fact that I'm writing for a much smaller audience. Plus then um, you can, then you can just put the, uh, the, this book and that book together in a, coll- in like a, a collector. Yeah. Edition. A bundle, just like yeah. I did with the other one. Yeah. I can, I can put them together, but yeah, it's just pe- the way people, like, I still have a lot of people who are reading the original lazy dungeon master and don't know that return exists at all. You know, and I'm like, man, please read Return. <laughs> like, you know, Lazy Dungeon Master, I'm very proud of. Like, I'm actually doing a reprint of it. Like, I'm, I redid man. the interior so that I can sell it on print on demand on Amazon and drive through. And um, because I, I didn't have it for print on demand, I was doing it through Lulu because that's the only print on demand publisher that was around at the time. Oh. Um, so I'm like, you know, but enough people are still buying it that I'm like, I guess I got to make a print version of this. Yeah, you know, I mean, like that's... why? Yeah, they want it, and and people like having both. There's a lot of people who who they're not the same book, so they like reading both of them. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of people that just find one and don't find the other, and there's nothing I can do to get them, you know, to get them to find the other. So I'd always be worried of like, well, here's a six to ten, you know, that's based in the same thing. I I I'd have to basically take like another whole section of the mountain and then loosely connect it to this one. That, um, that would but... be fun. Yeah, so the, the, there are ways that could work. And I mean, then, yeah, I'm also always nervous about kind of doing higher. And that's, you know, six to 10 isn't exactly high level play. Um, I, I think that's the sweet spot myself. Yeah, well, I think it's a sweet spot from a fun perspective. Like you, you, your characters are really nice and meaty. And from a DM perspective, you could throw a lot of things in there. You know, you can go easier, you can go hard. Um, it's the first time you get to fight really iconic monsters like Beholders and Dragons and stuff. Uh huh. Um, so yeah, there, there's definitely something there, but it's, it's harder to just grab an adventure and some pre-gens and play too. 
That's, you know, that's true. It becomes not a starter book at that point. Yeah, right? it's not a starter book at that point. But I don't know. And, and you know, what what kind of grabs people, you know, what what grab? I mean, both the fun thing and the scary thing about doing all this, all this sort of stuff is that, you know, I'm constantly experimenting every year. You know, I'll try a new book and see how it goes. And mm-hmm. I'll try another book and we'll see how it goes. And, and you know, I'm, 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 I'm always trying to hit like, well, what, what's missing from the hobby? What, what do we need? More? Either what, what is missing that we need or what do we need? And even though there's a lot of it, we can always use more, you know, and I kind of feel that way about adventures. Like, I don't think you could ever write, uh, you know, I don't think we'll ever saturate the world with adventures. No, I mean, people um, will either just like them or not like them. That's pretty much how that goes. Right, right. And, and they're, each one of them is sort of unique enough and people, people can want them enough, you know, and, and they, they're relatively short lived. Like once you've run it, you're probably not going to run it. You know, you might run it again, but probably not likely. No, and hardly ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I think that adventures, you know, have, have a lot of, have a lot of legs to them. It's probably because um, there's so many of them these days, right? There really are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you look at like the quality of the stuff that's now coming out on the DMs guild, you know, the, the quality went way up over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's and, almost like people um, got better. What's that? It's almost like people got better at this. Well, yeah. And, and I think a lot of it is like, well, the designs got better. You know, for me, it's, you know, I, 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 I won't shy away from the fact that I was kind of disappointed with the earlier stuff because I felt like it had no artwork at all. And the maps looked like they were drawn by the same person who, you know, wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the design looked like a Word document that was saved to PDF. Yeah, that's and, pretty much what it was. You know, right. And I'm like, and I'm still paying five bucks, <laughs> right? Like, you know, and, and I get like, that's not unreasonable. And, and you know, I've, I've had this discussion with Teo Sabadilla all the time about like, well, you know, oh, and, and usually the editing wasn't great. Yeah. You know, a lot of times you look at it and the editing is not great. And then the big one for me is like, was it play tested really? And uh-huh. like the one thing you get with Adventures League Adventures is generally they have been play tested before you buy them. Um, but not always. And, uh, uh, so, but now I'm starting to see the editing is getting a lot better. The design is much more aesthetically pleasing. You know, they're able to use a lot of old artwork, but because there's so much old artwork, a lot of times it's like, oh, I never really saw that before. Mm -hmm. You kind of know that they got it. It wasn't written for the book. Um, but it's still nice looking. Plus if you flip over to the, um, to, to drive through, there's a lot of not very expensive, uh, art that people can, can purchase and utilize in their adventures in their adventures. Right. Right. So I think that, I think that has gotten a lot better. Um, and, and yeah, and I think that that, that has put a lot more that like, it's, it's harder to say like, well, why is this book of adventures better than something MT black is putting out? And I already have so many adventures I'm not running. Why do I need to buy your book of adventures that I'm not, you know, that I'm not going to get a chance to run. Well, I'll so, tell you, I'll tell you why, because there's this cool little mini campaign inside of it that takes you, that, that goes from <laughs> that, that, that you can thread throughout of it throughout. Yeah. It. And it's a, that, that's yeah. Yeah. It's a, and, and that, 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 that mini campaign is what I'm hoping will lead into the larger six to 20 campaign. So we'll yeah. see. But and, uh, yeah, the big, the big one for me, it's like, okay, well, a, I'm, I'm going to, play test the hell out of these uh they have a, a very nice design they have they're they're well edited by a, the, the the editor who is editing you know all those stuff that watsi is doing uh-huh. um and uh you know i have artwork from guys have been, who are, do this full time and you know so so the you know my 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 goal is that the the product itself is gonna scale pretty high like it's it's you know the nice thing is because I can use Kickstarter, I can afford to to make it something way bigger than uh, than than I would be able if I was to just publish it on, on the DMs Guild. Yeah, because you have the budget for it, right? Yeah, I actually have like like yeah, my budget for this book that 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 fifteen thousand was no joke. Like mm-hmm. that's what it cost me to make it. That's a real, <laughs> yeah, that's a real that's a real 
uh, RPG yeah. and not even like super high end. Like that's not even, I mean, it's good. It's a big budget for it. Right. But it's, it, it, yeah, but it's, it's not what people, salt marsh cost. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> right. what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. Or even a lot of the Piazzo stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. So, right. Right. But it's, it's not what a, what a, what a major company with salaried employees can make. Yeah. Let me put it um, this way for an but indie yeah. RPG. But it's, you know, I, I doubt, and I've had this, I've had this argument, like people would say like, well, how much does it cost to make an adventure? And I'm like, I don't know, probably $1,500. And they're like, are you crazy? Like who the hell is 50? You know, it'll take me 10 years to make $1,500 back on adventure. And I'm like, you didn't ask how long it would make you to make the money back. You asked how yeah. much it costs. <laughs> and, and that's how much it costs. Like depends on what you're going to do and you can do it for less, but that's, you know, I don't think you're over, I don't think you're wasting money when you pay that much for an adventure. It's true. You know, I think that, I think that that money is going somewhere. If you want a professional editor and you want a you know professional layout, maybe you can get away with doing one of the other jobs other than design yourself. Um, but I, you know, generally speaking, I can't, it's still you know, like, that's still I can't, extends I your timeline for getting it done though. Yeah. Right. And you're, and you're like, you know, you could maybe you like, let's say you're familiar with InDesign. Are you, are you an InDesign guy? Oh yeah. I can, I've done a bunch of the layout for encoded. So, so so that's great. Right. That means you can write it and probably do the layout. Yes. Um, but it's not like that time was free. (laughs) Right. So you, you, you probably saved whatever, you know, two to $5 a page Uh on the design doing it yourself. And I'm smart enough to know where to go to find cheap, cheap enough stock art. So yeah, right. That's so, not, that's not crazily expensive. Yeah, yeah. Or, so, or, so, or, or highly expensive, I should say. Right, right. So you 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 know you did that, but you know if you're assuming that your hours are worth a certain amount of dollars as well, you're still, still paying. You're just paying a different way. Yep, I'm still spending that fifteen hundred dollars. You're still just... spending that fifteen hundred dollars, and and you still have to make it back if it's quote unquote profitable. Yeah. You know? Let me. And I think that's hard to do in the guild. I, I think it's, it's pretty hard for most very people to make hard money to back. do in the guild. Um, I I would prefer to not often sell my stuff on the guild. I yeah. mean, it's a cool like. Don't get me wrong, everyone. I actually love the DMs Guild for what yeah, I do too. what it can do yeah. for people. Like the fact yeah. that you can utilize Forgotten Realms and and Eberron, right. those IPs. Like it is beyond worth it just for that in and right. of itself. Yeah, yeah. But if yeah, you absolutely. if you want to get any amount of money to make a thing that is yours, uh, Kickstarter is generally the way to go. Yeah, well, and the, the probably the killer is is and this is this is something that um uh yeah this is this is something I don't think people really get is the 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 inability to sell it on other marketplaces is really it 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 probably cuts at least half of your profit if not way more it, and it and does. the big one is Amazon like when you if you can get a book up on Amazon and print on demand or in um uh or in, in a, like a Kindle version uh-huh. you know that's a whole new source of revenue like like Amazon was thirty percent of my revenue from for years. You know, and now it's going up to 50%. Like now that I'm going to print on demand, half of my revenue is coming from Amazon. And those are people who have never heard of me before. That is the place that uh, I think encoded designs need to take some of their stuff we haven't yeah, gotten it's, there it's, yet. i probably shouldn't have said that because <laughs> i'm gonna flood my own market oh, it's... but um yeah like you know yeah that that is a huge and cutting off from that you know cuts a tremendous amount of revenue um so being able to put it on like drive through being able to put it up on um on amazon uh being able to sell it yourself uh-huh. like you know when i when i if i can sell a book off of sly flourish it's 95 percent. the cut is 95 percent you know, the best you're getting from drive through or from, from, um, what you get 50%, I think from DMs guild, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's a big, that means you got to basically sell two, you know, <laughs> to make the profit, you have to sell one on your own site mm-hmm. and now, granted it's on your own site and people have to go find it there and stuff. So I, I still make less 
my, I sell, I sell less copies and make less revenue from my own site. Um, but you know, it's double the revenue that I would get from, I mean, it's double the revenue that I get from drive through and it's still 20% higher than I get from Amazon or, or drive through. I love how these conversations keep going back towards publishing business. Yeah, yeah I fine. guess. Right. No, I, I love talking about that stuff. I mean, I'll talk <laughs> yeah. about that stuff all it's day. Not, it's not adventure design. But anyway, so there's a lot, I guess the, the point is that there's a lot of people who are questioning, and I, I think it is an important topic that, you know, there's a lot of people who question like the profitability of DMs Guild versus other stuff. And that, you know, you brought up the, to me, the, the absolute best reason to use the DMs Guild is if you want to write in the Forgotten Realms or you want to use Wizards IP that you don't get access to otherwise. Mm-hmm. That is the reason. But if you think like, I'm going to go there because that marketplace is a really good marketplace and it's going to beat out the other ones, you have to basically sell double the amount of copies to be able to make what you would make somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, and, and while drive through is even nice on, a, on, a, on the other side of it, it's still only 65%. Yeah, right. Right. drive throughs Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And drive through has a nice kind of built in. That, that's to me, the question is like, is your marketplace, is the marketplace significantly worse between drive through and DMs Guild? Like, you know, can you sell a product in DMs Guild? Um, but is it easier to sell a product in DMs Guild than it is in drive through? If you're assuming you're writing like five E five E stuff, and I don't know the answer to that. You know, I, I I don't I don't have a nice you know sort of control group that tells me that. So uh, to to wrap this up, yeah, at least Let's get the, back to adventure design. on the adventure design. <laughs> thing, um, like just going going back over the, the like using the call of star sun tower as the as the example like yeah. the way that you shorten this thing up is by utilizing the secrets and clues as a good chunk of the uh, a lot of the background stuff because the adventure summary and the background stuff is very very short right. it's really just about being economical with the words but really right. that that you're right that secrets and clues section really cuts down on the word count in a lot of other places yeah it does yeah i mean i think the other the other key thing is like these are not like they are dungeon delves but they're not huge dungeons like I think the number of the the biggest number of chambers in any one of these is about ten, right? Now the the chambers are kind of big, so it's not like every hall or every broom closet is is marked off. Um, but there's still relatively few places, which means that I can get a little bigger in the descriptions of those places. And it also means that the adventures are 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 certainly going to run within four hours. I did I did have somebody who play tested Star Song and said it took seven. And I was like, seven, it's a two hour adventure. Yeah, what, what did it take? I'm like, where did for? you go? And he, he's like, why? Well, and he's like, I wasn't complaining. Like, I added a whole bunch of stuff and I had all sorts of other things going on. I'm like, okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fine. I mean, you could hang out in the uh, in the in the town for a little while, yeah, talking, yeah, talking Deep to Dover, people. Deep Dover's Enclave is a whole campaign setting into itself. Like, yeah, every that's another one where where like I wanted every I want adventure hooks everywhere, right? So it's like if you go to the bar. There's a statue of a bard who is playing a lute and the lute actually is playing and music is always coming through. And this kind of beautiful music is always going through the the town that's kind of coming from the statue. And if you look at it, the, the, the bard has this really big sort of grimace on his face. But the reality is that's not a grimace. That's sort of a cringe of agony. Oh, and you're like, oh how do I help save this bard? Yeah. You know? And so there's like a hook there. I don't talk about it at all. And you got to decide what that hook is, you know? And then there's like, Oh, there's the old, you know, the, the, uh, the crazy wizard's tower that got turned into a, like a bed and breakfast and, you know, but don't go to the bottom floor. There's a giant brass, um, seal on the floor that's covering something. And even the bartender, even the person that runs the end doesn't really talk about it or know what's down there, man. You know? So there's like, Oh, everywhere you go, there's like something terrible. Or not terrible, but something mysterious. Uh, yeah. So, so 
the the concept I, I've always used this concept for a while um, of of the idea of the five room dungeon, which can be expanded, right? Like you make it seven or eight rooms or whatever, right. even shorter if you want to, like little layers. Because right. me and Sean have Sean's written plenty of layers that are like two areas, right? Yeah, sure. But for his one hour adventures, yeah, yeah. He, Sean and I, Sean and I talked on the DM deep dive about how do you build an adventure in an hour, mm-hmm. which is a fascinating, fascinating idea. So you can get a whole story inside of that little right. that little piece. Uh, sure. Just the thing I love about okay, the last thing I'll say is because. Uh, this book is not just necessarily about adventure design. This is about how to create a, a, a nice campaign setting in a very small um, amount of words. Mm-hmm. I, I really think that's what you've got going on here too. Like I love these adventures, but I feel like adventures like, like star song tower, like it, it is yeah. useful. It is usable on its own. It is so much better with the rest of the book. I hope, I hope so. I mean, but I always get nervous about that. Right. Cause it's like most people, like I, 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 I'm going to make a number up, but I bet you it's not far off. I would say 90% of DMs are either a running their own campaign setting or B running forgotten realms. <laughs> like I, I bet you, if you were to group all the DMs together, that's kind of how they're playing. And there's 10% that's probably playing other campaign settings that other people published. And so I, I, I never want to go too hard in that because the, the audience for this, like I want you to be able to take this mountain and drop it in forgotten realms. And that's the nice thing about the way the mountain works is the mountain is its own ecology. Like it's, it's, it's its own sealed thing. So you can put it in any world and just have that mountain there. Well, it's the nice thing about it, right? Yeah. It's so still, it's, so it's, it's I, little... I never want to lose that flexibility. And the more I get into my own story about the Grendelrude and the, the majocracy of the black star and the order of the white sun and all these other like <laughs> factions that kind of exist or have existed, the more I get like, wait a minute, I'm starting to just, you know, build a campaign setting and I don't want to build a campaign setting. Yeah. I suppose that is pretty true about, uh, about D- about a lot of D and D players, right? I'm so I play a lot of you know not D and D games. I play a lot of D and D too. I probably split my time with games. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we're playing Scum and Villainy right now, which mm-hmm. has its own setting, and we use that setting, right? Yeah. So like yeah. it's the setting that's in the book. But it's called the Prion Sector, but we use that. Like when people play Blades in the Dark, they use uh uh Dusk Duskfall. Like it's the mm-hmm. setting in the book because it's it's built into the game. Yeah, it's right, right there. Yeah. Yeah. And and I recommend it, right? Like my whole this my whole another like argue about economics is like, you know, you may have a really interesting campaign world in your head. You are not going to spend the kind of time and energy and money that Wolfgang Bauer did on Midgard. Yeah, you know, like that. You know, you and you are paying so little compared to the costs to make it. Yeah, because it's a lot of effort and time. And if that's it's your creative tight. jam and that's what you like to do, then that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I get it, right. Like, I'm not telling people that they shouldn't. But no, it's like, yeah, I didn't think you were. understand the economics of what you're talking about. Like, yeah. you may you may kind of cringe at the Forgotten Realms. Like, a lot of people, the, the thing that I think is its greatest strength is me- for many other people, it's its detriment. And it's like, think I think it's possible, maybe next to Star Wars, that the Forgotten Realms is the most well-documented fantasy world out there. I would agree. I'm pretty sure that's correct. I mean, just just on the fact that my uh, my uh, my partner, my my girlfriend, she has read 33 Drist books, and that's not even like a tenth right. of the Forgotten Realm novels that are right. out there in the world, right? Yeah, and just think of it like they've been writing about the Forgotten Realms for 40 years, right? Publishing stuff for 40 years. Uh-huh. So you know, there is so much Forgotten Realms material out there. There's billion, like probably it might be a billion. I don't know about a billion word. Billions big, but I don't know millions. I mean... There might be. Might be a billion words. There might be. Um, I mean, maybe not. No, it's a lot. 
It's a lot of words, thousand million words, but you know, I don't know. There's a lot out there. So it's like, you know, why would you throw all that away? Like it's out there. It's just waiting for you. And yeah, I get like, well, how the hell are you going to start reading that? Well, yeah. pick up Sorco's Adventures guy. Yeah. Let right. me put it this way. We just, oh, had, we, we just discussed that maybe there might possibly, it's not out of the outside realm of possibility. There might be a billion words in the forgotten realms. It's a lot of freaking words, even if it's not a billion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I I said uh, 10% are probably playing someone else's campaign world other than Forgotten Realms or personal. And I just looked back at my survey that I did in 2015 on this, where I had 6,600 respondents. And um, it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's uh, 7% are playing someone else's non-D&D related campaign world. Yeah, there you go. Um, and yeah, 55% play their own and 38% play Forgotten Realms. So yeah, you're you're... If you're writing something, I, that, and that's my goal, it's like I'm going to assume that they have their own campaign setting, and yeah. I'm going to try to give them stuff that they can just, drop in. Just stick this in there, right? Like, and maybe, and right, and maybe they just, and I, I probably need to even reinforce this in the intro, like this, drop this mountain into your world, right? like you can put it anywhere, and it's just a mountain, right? It's but just, it is a limitless mountain. It's so. just so bad because it's this really nice self-contained little thing. Which, on the bright side, you can put it anywhere you want, right? Yeah, right, right. So that's the goal. All right. Well. Um, I guess that is the, uh, I guess that's our episode. <laughs> sure. I, I hope that was fun. Yeah. That's I had a great. good time. Yeah. Hope uh, we didn't me... get into the business side too much. No, you know, I, I bet you I, people I like are it. interested. I think people are interested. Yeah. I think um, people want to hear more about that stuff. Yeah. I'm I just hope few... all of a sudden Amazon gets flooded with new products. I'm like, wait, <laughs> no one wants my shred, my uh, stuff anymore. That's funny. I, I feel like that'll just like more products will then be suggested that are in that same vein. Right. Like, so that mm-hmm. your, your product will just show up more on other people's stuff. Yeah. Uh, let me do a few Patreon shout outs because I have to just Patreon shout outs for the patrons because they, you know, give us money to do this. So I, yeah. which I appreciate. Uh, Christopher Gray, Mike Dinos, Jesse Edmond, uh, Donnie Harville, Brian Kurtz, Andy Olson, Merrick Blackman, Rob Ebrazado, GM Gerrymander, and Toby Sennett. Thank you so much for being our patrons. Um, if you would like to be a patron of Misdirected uh, Mark and Down With D&D, you can click on the link, which is on our Patreon page. And for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout out like you just got right there. For $4 a month, you can get not only that shout out, but our pre-production show notes, which, you know, all those designing adventures episodes that we did have show notes of all the stuff that we talked about. So you'll get all that stuff. Um, if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost anyway, you can do so with an Apple podcast review or just a podcast review on whatever podcatcher that you're using. We greatly appreciate that. Uh, Mike, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, slyflourish.com and on Twitter at twitter.com slash slyflourish. Very nice. Uh, you can catch me at Misdirected Mark. That is the Twitter and the show's uh, handle. Uh, you can also catch other great shows on the website, such as the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars, where myself and my cohorts, we play games, mostly D&D these days, although I, and I think we're playing an Eberron campaign next. But uh, you'll be hearing uh, some some Dresden coming up pretty soon over there. Well, uh, you know how this goes, Mike, right? So if I say, like, you know, Down With D&D is a misdirected mark production, which is the media arm of Encoded Designs, and I ask you, Mike, what are we going to do next? Play some D&D. Oh, not go kill some monsters? No, I forgot. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me.